Hello and welcome to the Training for Influence podcast, brought to you by me, Tammy Banks, Director of Tay Training and founder of the Training for Influence method. But it's not just me who you'll be hearing from. I'll be joined by a selection of our expert facilitators, as well as sector colleagues and fellow organisations, all in an effort to provide important learnings for key workers, people on the front line who are new, potentially inexperienced, volunteering, possibly agency workers, or perhaps returning to work previously retired professionals. This podcast is not a replacement for training. It aims to highlight important topics to act as an introductory resource for those delivering services under these unprecedented circumstances. We asked our facilitators to select five top takeaways from a course they deliver. Takeaways the delegates have fed back that are really key or they as a facilitator think are fundamental to the session. So today is my great pleasure to welcome Sophie Cook, who's going to talk to us about domestic abuse in lockdown. This is a new course that we were commissioned to develop and deliver for an organisation and Sophie's been delivering it over the last few weeks. Sophie, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you deliver this course for Tay? Hi Tammy, thanks so much for having me today. So my background is in the rape crisis movement. So I spent several years as a volunteer on the the front lines, essentially on the helpline, supporting women and girls who've been affected by rape and sexual violence. And there's a huge crossover there with domestic violence. A, A huge number of the callers that I worked with had also experienced domestic violence because the sexual violence was coming from their their intimate partner or, or another family member. That then brought me into recruiting and training other volunteers for, for those frontline roles and introduced me to training and I ended up coming and doing it professionally with, with Tay. Fantastic. And we're really pleased to have you with us. And you also deliver our equality and diversity course for us at the moment. And you're going to be delivering our working with adults who have experienced child sexual exploitation as well. So we have at Tay delivered domestic abuse courses for the last four years. So we're really lucky that we have a team of people who work on the front line within domestic abuse services. And we deliver domestic abuse awareness level one and two to the CQC standards. And then also working with victims and survivors and working positively with people who have the potential to cause abuse. But this domestic abuse in lockdown course has come specifically in response to the fact that there's been significant increase in the rise of domestic abuse since we have been in lockdown and we've been socially isolating. And because services are having to respond differently, professionals are having to think differently. So we're really grateful for your time today, Sophie, and what it would be really ideal if you could talk us through the five top learning points that you found whilst you've been delivering this course and what professionals have been saying to you. Yeah, so our first point really that we wanted to look at is something that that you said really just at the beginning, Tammy, about the spike that we've seen in domestic abuse. And we have seen that that really big increase. But I think a lot of people don't really know unless they work in the sector just how common domestic abuse is. The statistics are pretty shocking here. Looking at sexual abuse, we would normally expect to see in the average year about 85,000 rapes of adult women and 12,000 of adult men. Wow. When you think of it in numbers, they're pretty big numbers. And mm-hmm. my mind immediately goes to... Are these the ones that we know about? 
Yeah, so, so these are the ones that we, we know about. And sexual violence is really underreported. We think that only about 15% of rapes are actually reported to the police. So there's vast numbers that we don't know about. It's the tip of the iceberg, really. Gosh, and when you when you think about it from the perspective of the tip of the iceberg and people not feeling able or confident to be able to report and seek support, the concerning factor in addition to that is then thinking about actually how are those people managing to? Mm, yeah, and that's a really big a really big thing. You know, a lot of the services that provide that specialist support that, that people need, they're not able to, to meet the demand there because they just don't have the resources. And so even for the people who do feel able to reach out for support, they can't necessarily actually access it. And of course, that has been an issue since before the lockdown. Okay, so starting with those really sombre statistics there, what changes have we seen within lockdown? Well, we've seen this really big spike in numbers. So the domestic violence helpline, the National Domestic Violence Helpline, they've seen a tenfold increase in the number of calls to their helplines. So obviously, again, that's a really, really big number of people calling. That's a huge, huge increase, isn't it? Mm, it is, yeah. And the other thing that we've seen, which is really horrifying, is the number of domestic homicides that has shot up. So just since the lockdown started, there have been 22 women murdered and the, most of those were by a current or former partner. Wow. And have we any stats about men? So as far as I'm aware, there haven't been any domestic murders of men. Of men within lockdown? No, not during this time period. It is something that is generally quite rare and we will usually see maybe sort of tens of cases of men compared to hundreds of cases of women. And of course, it does still happen. It's just a bit rarer. And what, comparatively, so when you're saying 22, for mm. me, that's absolutely devastating. That's 22 lives yeah. that have been lost. What's that comparatively like outside of lockdown? In this amount of time, what mm. would we usually see? It is a really horrifying number, isn't it? Normally outside of lockdown, we would expect to see two women a week. And the, the figures for men are unknown currently for, for this year. During the period of the 23rd of March, so from the first day of, of lockdown through to the 12th of April, there were 16 murders and that's a little over twice what we would normally expect to see. So it's a big increase. Yeah, that's a huge increase. And, and we're talking about people and we're talking about people who have families and lives and it's just devastating. It is. It's absolutely heartbreaking. Thanks, Sophie. So on that note, I guess it takes us into the course and the importance of actually recognising and upskilling for professionals as we're seeing these changes and these significant rises. So what did you pick as your learning point too? So my second learning point was that the lockdown is bringing up new forms of abuse that we've not really seen so much before. And by that, I don't really mean sort of things that have never happened before, but rather that people who haven't experienced particular types of abuse are suddenly starting to experience them and that services are starting to see types of abuse that they might not have experienced or seen before. And one of the ones that really strikes me is the abuse of parents by their children. And that's something that many services have never really seen before, but it seems to be really increasing. 
Yeah, and that's something that people really struggle to consider. Domestic abuse is, is difficult for any of us to understand. But from a child to parent perspective, people really struggle to put their minds there. Yeah, absolutely. I can't think of anything really more challenging than having your, your own child abusing you. While if it's a partner, you can walk away, you can't just leave your child. So that must be one of the most difficult things really for parents who are in that situation. Some of the parents that we found that are most at risk as well are LGBT parents. So parents who are suddenly getting homophobic abuse from their children. And often children who don't really believe these things, but who are lashing out at the person closest to them. And so again, for professionals, being aware that this is an issue, spotting those signs and getting that support in place early for everybody involved, that's really crucial. Yeah, so that would be really difficult. And you're right, I can't imagine anything more difficult to consider from a parent's perspective, being abused by your own child. Mm. So you said that there's been a variety of different types of abuse that we're seeing more of. Do you explore within the course situational domestic abuse? And could you tell our listeners what situational domestic abuse is and how that potentially features within lockdown? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely something that we discuss quite um, in depth in the course. So situational abuse is slightly different to domestic abuse in that domestic abuse is usually based on power and control. So the abuser is, is trying to get that control over the, the victim or survivor. In situational abuse and situational violence, it's more that somebody is reacting to something that's happening in their life. And so at the moment, we're all under really huge amounts of pressure. A lot of people have lost their jobs. They are being squashed in with their families, potentially into housing that's not very appropriate. And that can lead to people being really, really stressed out just being squashed in together all the time and people can lash out people can get angry and frustrated and they might have mental health problems that mean that they are really struggling with their own emotions and that can lead people to lash out yeah and it's difficult isn't it because none of this is an excuse there's never any excuse for violence in this way but you can also appreciate some of the complexities that people are struggling with and certainly the unknown plays a big part in people's mindset as well and things are changing so rapidly at the moment and we don't have control over that people are starting to be concerned and worry and wonder about what does the future hold for me as well yeah absolutely it's so so hard for people and particularly if you're not the best communicator or if your relationships may be going through a rough patch just not being able to express yourself how you feel and can just people can bottle it all up inside and it can just come crashing out as violence as you say it's it's never an excuse there's never an excuse for, for violence but we can understand how people get there and get to that point yeah. And it's interesting because when I was reading through the course that you'd written with Tay's domestic abuse lead facilitator as well in partnership, when I was reading through it, one of the things that really stood out for me is that you'd put within there as well for the organisation who commissioned course, 
it's for professional people who are offering support services during this time not domestic abuse focused but still working very much with clients who have complex needs and one of the things that really struck me was that you'd put within that actually signs that your client may also be at risk of harming somebody else because of the situation, because of everything that you've just said there. So it's not only about looking at it from a reactionary perspective, it's also about looking at it from a prevention perspective as well, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, for many people who perpetrate this kind of violence, they'll be devastated afterwards that they've done something like that. So being able to provide support to people to help them to manage their emotions, to manage their anger, to be able to talk so that they don't feel like they need to lash out and help them to deal with the aftermath as well if they have perpetrated violence. You know, it's really important to have that in place because people can get so hurt and, and you know, by their, their own actions. Yeah, not an excuse at all, but if no. we prevent it where possible, that's what we should always be aiming to do. Absolutely, yeah. Prevention's always the, the thing we should be aiming for. Brilliant. So what was your learning point number three from this course, Sophie? Yeah, so the third thing we were looking at and that we look at in some detail in the course was the barriers that are in place for survivors getting support. Oh gosh, yes, because we've already talked about the fact that domestic abuse, sexual violence is really underreported. And if you work within this area, you'll be well aware that there are huge emotional, social, cultural, financial barriers to people reporting domestic abuse and violence. But now we're in lockdown. So actually those barriers are really exasperated, aren't they? What are we seeing now? Yeah, I mean, as you say, it's really just exacerbated everything that's been there before, as well as kind of creating some some new problems as well. Like you said, some of the things that, that really are barriers for people are sometimes it's the nature of the abuse. So if somebody's been shut in the house and not allowed to leave, then accessing support is going to be really hard. But right now we're seeing abusers or potential abusers actually using the fact that we're in lockdown to increase that control over people. So to say, oh, well, you're not allowed out of the house because we're in lockdown. And so it can sound quite reasonable. And that could be really, really hard to deal with because how do you push back against something that sounds so reasonable, right? You mentioned the, the kind of the feelings and the emotions that go behind that as well. One of the big fears that survivors will talk about is the fear of not being believed and feeling this kind of guilt and shame and fear. That's often the, the biggest things that stop people from reporting. And when I say reporting, I don't just mean to the police, but to anybody really, to a friend, to another service and things like that. I can imagine that even that guilt even that has increased within this time because actually there is a lot of talk at the moment about being grateful and comparing things to people who are really unfortunately suffering with COVID-19 and so I've seen quite damaging comments actually particularly on social media to people who have said that they're struggling in one way or another and, and not 
not necessarily related to domestic abuse, but said that they're struggling. And people have responded saying, you should be recognising how lucky you are. You have food, you, you have money, you can pay your rent or your mortgage. There are people at the moment who are dying, who are X, Y and Z, you know, and really from that perspective, I can really imagine that that guilt and that who can I turn to would be a really intense decision. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think as well for a lot of survivors, the feeling of I've got to go to the hospital, I've got to go to my doctor or things like that. And we know that the NHS is under so much pressure at the moment. So not wanting to actually put additional pressure and thinking, oh, well, everything that's going on at the moment, my problem, that's really minor. That's not important. So I'm not going to bother anybody. I think that's going to be a a really big thing for a lot of people. Talk to us about number four. Yeah, so number four is following on from the barriers, is looking at how we actually start to overcome some of those barriers. Because of the way things are at the moment, we've got to be quite creative. We've got to think outside the box and find these ways of getting support to the people who need it. One of the most important things that we really need to remember there, I think, is that survivors are the experts in their own experience. They're the ones that are going to be able to tell us as professionals what their needs are, whether there's something safe, you know, that we've suggested. And it's just so important that we talk to service users and actually ask them, does this meet your needs? What do you actually need? Out of those discussions, you can get some really good ways of of overcoming the barriers that are going to work for that particular individual. Going back to some of those barriers and then thinking about overcoming them, mm. I, I completely agree with you with regards to the conversation with survivors and then being an expert in what they need and following their lead. But also we are in unprecedented times at the moment and we're seeing all of the barriers increase for people with regards to domestic abuse and violence. And they're wider barriers. They're also about people's culture. They're also about people's language. They're also about their disabilities you know there's different barriers that have always been there and are increasing within lockdown quite often as professionals and services quite often we support and help people recognize the relationships that they're in and how those relationships are harming them Mm. now as services we are one step removed at the moment and I know some frontline services are doing exceptional things and hopefully we'll be coming on to that at learning point five But just from a perspective of looking at our role in helping people to recognise the dangerous situation that they're potentially in, and also that from domestic abuse, that controlling and coercive, to what we've just talked about, some of the rising situational, what are the barriers that we're seeing there and how can we overcome them? A lot of people are experiencing violence getting worse and I think for a lot of survivors that is going to be the trigger that helps them to recognise that this is a problem. But of course then where do you go from there in terms of getting support? I think in terms of recognition, particularly when it's situational, it's likely to have been a one-off and that's probably going to be quite a shock to somebody who's had a, a relationship that hasn't been abusive to suddenly be experiencing violence and because there's not that element of power and control in that situational violence for a lot of people it's it's much easier to recognize that there's a problem when it's ongoing domestic abuse i think that barrier of, of, of recognition is very much still there and and being able to put the support in place so that survivors can start to move towards recognizing 
it is that much more difficult given the, the situation that we're in. You know, finding ways to keep the dialogue open with service users. So using things like text and email if you're not able to see people in person or speak to them on the phone so that they've still got some avenue for, for talking about what's happening really kind of working to keep that trust and that relationship with the service so that when they can come back to the service, that relationship hasn't broken down. I think that's really important. That is going to go a long way to, to kind of starting to tackle some of those other barriers as well is finding ways to keep talking, even if it is just a text message every now and then. Yeah, I can see how and why it'd be so important to actually keep that relationship open with a service. So mm -hmm. people do feel like they have somebody that they can, when able, raise an alert with and receive some support from as well. Yeah, definitely. What about from, from the perspective of other barriers that we see around language and culture and things? Is it just a case that actually at the moment things are really, really difficult within the domestic abuse arena, really, that actually all of the barriers that we've seen previously, we're seeing a lot more and they're having wider impact? Yeah, I think to a certain extent that is the case. It's one of these things of where we, we really need to make sure that we centre marginalised people in all of our thinking and planning, really. And if that's not happened so effectively in the past, putting it in place now is even harder. But whenever we're thinking about, OK, this is how we're going to move on with the service. This is, a, you know, a new way of delivering the service. We really need to be thinking, OK, how is that going to work for disabled people? How is that going to work for black and minority ethnic people? is this actually appropriate and suitable for, for our service user groups so that we're not isolating anybody any further? And I think when we're under a lot of pressure as services, it can be really difficult to do that. And it can be very tempting to just think, right, we're just going to do this. We're going to get something in place. But then very often you're stuck with it. Thinking through what you're going to do a little bit more carefully, pausing, giving yourself a little bit of time to build something that, that is really going to work for as many people as possible. Yeah, no, that's really good advice. Thank you, Sophie. Really appreciate it. That takes us seamlessly on to though, what services are available at the moment and how we can access them. Yeah, it's really challenging time for services. And I think we can all acknowledge just how difficult that is, particularly for services that are reliant on volunteers. They are often struggling to actually meet the demand. Often that can just be down to resources. So maybe not being able to offer social distancing in, in the workspace and things like that, or just not having the money to put in place adequate security to be able to work from home and things like that. So it's a big challenge, but most of the services that existed prior to lockdown are still providing some level of service, even if it's in a slightly different context. So the National Domestic Violence Helpline, of course, is still operating. Rape crisis still have their lines open and of course you can go to their website Rape Crisis England and Wales and just kind of click on the map and it'll show you which services are operating and what they're doing and that's a really useful resource. In terms of more specialist support organisations like Carmen Nirvana who support survivors of honour-based violence and forced marriage they are still operating. And as far as I know, pretty much all of the big national organisations have still got some service in place. When you say some service in place, 
what type of services are being offered at the moment and how can people access them? A lot of the time the face-to-face -face services have gone for, for kind of obvious reasons really. We've lost a lot of face-to-face -face services but phone lines, text, email and using Skype or Zoom, things like that, those are our ways of accessing the service. Some services are still doing face-to-face -face work, they may be doing that in a socially distanced way so with a screen or a larger room so there can be space between people and it will be very dependent on what resources that particular service has to offer that but I know that some services are for example moving to providing counselling over Zoom and that that's been really well received but again, you know, we come against some barriers here. If people don't have a mobile phone or they don't have internet access. Or, or even just um, a quiet room. Yeah, and that's it. You know, just having that space to be able to sit, even if you trust the people that you live with, being able to find just a little space so that you can talk freely is really difficult at the moment. I've been really surprised at how quickly services have adapted, particularly domestic abuse and safeguarding services. You know, they've been looking at creative ways to be able to continue to offer that support that people need. In some ways, although there's absolutely a whole host of barriers that comes along with lockdown, and we've talked about how it's really increased pressure and increased instances, one of the things that we are seeing as well is some services recognising the impact and offering to help. So I've noticed um, just by following some of the news, things like the rail services offering free travel for anybody who needs to be somewhere else in the country to get away from domestic abuse and violence. I've noticed some of the wider helplines that haven't been focused on domestic abuse talking more about domestic abuse and really including that in some of its messaging as well. I was reading the other day, and you might know more about this, Sophie, I was reading the other day about chemists allowing people to go to the chemist and say that they need to speak to them separately about something so that they can then seek support in that way. That's a really proactive thing that they've done. They've really recognised that those spaces, because most chemists have a consulting room, that that's a really useful private space that somebody can access. And so I believe that Boots is doing this in all of their stores, that you can go into the store, ask to use that room, and they will let you use the space to make a phone call, do whatever you need to do. And that's a fantastic resource because it's one of the few places really that people can go legitimately. So it's such a useful thing to do. In the past, we've seen, for example, helplines might put a sticker in toilet doors and things like that, because again, this was a private space that somebody could go to and take a note down of the number or send a text message, make a call. So finding an alternative to that has been brilliant. And it's been great to see so many organisations being really proactive with what they're doing. Let's hope that it increases people's awareness and ability to recognise and offer support to people in the future as well. Absolutely. And I think it will. I think one of the great things about the sector is that because the domestic abuse and sexual violence services have always had to be really responsive and do a lot with very little, they're actually incredibly flexible and run by people who are incredibly passionate and who really want to provide brilliant support. And so they've just jumped in there and they've gone, right, OK, what can we do? What can we do better? And we've seen some really amazing things come out of that.
so it's something I think to be really proud of in the sector yeah absolutely it's not much of a silver lining um, it's not no no but we find them where we can don't we thank you very much Sophie for taking the time today to talk about the domestic abuse in lockdown course one that was put together really quickly and you're doing a fantastic job of giving people time and space to really discuss with you about how they can support their clients from a perspective of being a potential victim of domestic abuse or being somebody who's at risk of causing domestic abuse. Is there anything else that you'd like to say to the listeners today before we sign off? Yeah, I think if, as I said at the beginning, it's something that affects so many of us. And for some people who are listening today, they might well be experiencing domestic abuse themselves. And if that's you, please do remember that the help is out there. Although things are so much harder at the moment, there are people out there who care and who will help you. So please do make that call if you possibly can. We're here to help and to listen. Fantastic. That's a really nice ending point for us. And I would just, I guess, add to that to say that also if you are a professional or you're a volunteer or you're working in society at the moment and you have concerns about somebody and you're not sure what to do, particularly within this lockdown period, do also seek the support and the guidance so that you can pass that on as well. Absolutely. So thank you very much, Sophie. Thank you, Tammy. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening today. We hope it's been time well spent. I'd like to finish by saying a huge thank you. Whether you're working or volunteering on the front line with vulnerable and or complex people, a manager supporting a team, or part of the cogs that keep the wheels of a frontline organisation turning, truly, thank you. It's only together that we can help people stay safe and prevent harm and abuse. Please don't forget about yourself though. No one, no matter how amazing, can pour from an empty cup. There is a reason emotional resilience features in all our courses, irrelevant of the subject. It's because it matters. You matter. Take care of yourself. If you'd like to know more about me, Tammy Banks, Tay Training, or the Training for Influence methodology, please have a read of the show notes. You can also find us on all social media platforms at Tay Training, or contact me directly via email tammy at taytraining.org.uk. If you hadn't noticed already, I love to talk. Have a good day.